Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All I want for the holidays this year is some NBA action. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks. An instant dub just for you guys. The MVP odds are heating up. Just so you guys know, on DraftKings today, December 18th, Nicole Jokic plus 210, Luka Doncic plus 400, Joel Embiid plus 425, Shea Gilders Alexander plus 900, Giannis plus 900, Jason Tatum plus 1800. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 78 97777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having an incredible week. A fun live show on YouTube again. It's been a long time since we've done this, but I miss it, and I'm glad we're going to be doing it again, something we plan on doing every week, basically, from here on out. And then, obviously, as you guys know, every day when we get to the playoffs. So we're going to be breaking down that unbelievable basketball game between the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. I have thoughts on John Morant's scintillating return to action. And then I have a quick little shout out I want to give to Dame Lillard who hit 20,000 
career points tonight. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would take 10 seconds to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss any show announcements as well as the film threads that I do from time to time throughout the week. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so that we can hit them throughout the remainder of the season. So those of you guys who have been following the show for a while know that I tend to like kind of gravitate towards like very specific trends in the big picture about the NBA. Obviously, like as a, a big part of doing this for a living and with my background in basketball, I'm obsessed with where the game is going and I'm constantly trying to like find out all these little things about, you know, specific things that are working really well in the NBA right now versus things that aren't. And if, for those of you who have been listening this season, you know that one of the trends that I've been clinging to is this idea of the high motor athlete. Basically, especially during the course of an 82-game season, night in and night out, with all the traveling, with all the, the, the swings and motivation level and all the things that can influence basketball games, the, it's really difficult to play hard all the time, especially when you're older. You know, like I'm only 32, and I have a hell of a lot fewer miles on me than a lot of the veterans that are playing around the NBA, and I just don't move the way that I used to on a daily basis. You know what I mean? And like... What's nice is over the course of 82 games to have guys in their early 20s that are freaky athletic, that are still super stoked about every single NBA game because they're new to it still, and they just bring energy. And like that just helps you in so many very specific areas of the game of basketball, especially over the course of the regular season. Think of it like this. Transition defense. It's about sprinting back, right? Uh, a just simple perimeter defense in the NBA. It's about navigating screens and sitting down in a stance and sliding your feet. Uh, defensive rebounding. It's about positioning yourself between man and ball and pursuing the basketball. Offensive rebounding is about pursuing the basketball. When you screen and roll to the basket, like Trace Jackson Davis did so many times tonight, and he was killing the Celtics just screening and rolling hard to the basket. That key offensive rebound late that led to the Steph Curry dagger three in overtime was a Steph Curry split in a, a, a pick and roll against Al Horford. He got downhill. Both Al Horford and Derek White ran with him to the rim, and Steph just had to get it up there somewhere. But Trace Jackson Davis, who set the uh, the screen 25 feet from the basket, has to get down to the rim to get into that scrum and get to the basketball. I'm just not sure if that's a play that Dario Saric can make, right? Just from an athleticism standpoint. Trace Jackson Davis slipping early out of screens. He had a bunch of success against Clay Thompson in or with Clay Thompson, excuse me, in that third quarter stretch. Just setting good hard screens as the Celtics were showing, just rolling hard to the rim. Like Trace Jackson Davis last year was one of the better pick and roll players in the country uh, in college. And, and, and specifically, I remember like watching the film when I was scouting him and thinking like, man, this dude is just getting swarmed on every single one of these ball screens. And it was just one of those things where I thought when he gets to the NBA, he's just going to have so much more space to operate. And you're seeing his finishing ability play a role there. When Steve Kerr first put the bench group out there in the late first, early second quarter, it was Dario Saric at center. They were struggling to protect the rim. Trace Jackson Davis had two massive blocks on Jalen Brown on drives. 
One on the uh, in the first half, you remember he pinned it on the glass. That was when he's you could hear on the broadcast. He screamed, "Give me that shit!" You know, because he's just bringing that energy. He just he just has that ferocity that you need from that specific position. And then in OT, when Jalen got downhill, and went, it was one of the rare times where I thought going for a dunk was probably the wrong idea. Because uh, if he would have just kind of kept his arm out and went for a lefty layup, I don't think Trace could have got there. But he tried to dunk it, and Trace made that extra effort. And he got there and he beat Jalen Brown to the rim and made a play. And like, again, we talked a lot about Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody and whether or not they have the wherewithal to make solid decisions and to do their jobs within the 16 game goal of the NBA playoffs. But that's different from the regular season. And like we saw last year, like Moses Moody was a guy that they could depend on, or at least for a few shifts a game. But it was a little bit of a question mark with Jonathan Kaminga. But it's like in this sort of setting, why the hell not lean into him? Especially at home when you know your young guys are going to play super hard and and bring that energy for the home crowd. He did an amazing job down the stretch on Jason Tatum. Got a key stop before uh, the end of regulation that sent it to OT. And then on offense, down the stretch of the game for the Warriors, it was just a steady diet of Steph attacking Al Horford in pick and roll. Big flashbacks to the NBA Finals, if you guys remember. And if you remember in the NBA Finals, it followed a very similar pattern in the sense that the 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 Celtics were running what was supposed to be a high drop, but Steph's running these ball screens so far away from the basket that it's just really hard for the big to get up high enough. And Steph hits that big three on the left wing. I think it was the one that tied it at 118. Hits that big three on the left wing against Horford in drop coverage. And then what ends up happening inevitably, the Celtics get worried about that shot, so they bring... Al Horford out further, which Steph usually drags the ball screen out to then force the switch. And now it's Al Horford on an island against Steph Curry. And it's that hard in and out step to the side for the big three uh, that tied it after the Derek White three. It was a steady diet of Steph attacking Horford. And there were even, you know, it kind of devolved into what so many rock fights do where you're seeing in OT, everyone's fatigued and it's like Clay Thompson missing good looks and, and Jason Tatum smoking a layup right at the rim and the, uh, a couple other Celtics missed good looks. But that's just the way rock fights are. And a lot of times in a situation like that, making a play like what Steph made there down the stretch, again, another Al Horford, uh, another opportunity to attack Al Horford in pick and roll, bringing him out above the foul line, uh, splitting the pick and roll, getting downhill. Derek White's trying to apply back pressure. You're bringing two guys to the basket. So even if you do miss that layup, you just are providing your teammate uh, in Trace Jackson Davis with basically a free run to the offensive glass. I I was so impressed by Steph in this particular game just from the standpoint of his conditioning because there was a stretch there where he was really struggling in the second half before he got it going late. And, you know, the the Lakers kind of put together a game plan that that works pretty damn well against the Golden State Warriors, at least in terms of the way they tried to wear down Steph. Like, we saw the the top locking on all of the, the perimeter players and funneling them towards Anthony Davis and LeBron James on the back line. That's not as big of a deal with this current configuration of the Warriors because one, Draymond's not out there. Kevon Looney was barely playing. It was a completely different lineup. But one of the things the Lakers did in that series, too, is they were like, hey, Andrew Wiggins ain't the same guy that he was last year. Clay Thompson's really struggling in this series. Let's just attack Steph every time down the floor, not because Steph's a bad defender. He's not. He's a firmly above average defensive player. He's got good size for the position at 6'3". He's strong. He does his job, right? But 
if you just attack him in the post every single possession or from the perimeter every single possession, you can wear on his legs, and that could potentially lead to missing shots. And I was so impressed by Steph's conditioning in this game because he was the guy making shots late, despite the fact that Boston was going at him relentlessly in the post, which again, and you got to think when you're defending in the post, it's like you're you're legitimately sitting down in a low stance and absorbing contact. That's all heavy uh, uh, exertion on your legs. I was just I was really impressed by Steph. It was a classic game on that front. And then again, you have to get secondary support. This is something we've talked about a lot over the course of the season. When the secondary support is not there, uh, Steph has to do that much more, and then the fatigue can play a role. We saw that in the Lakers series, right? When it, we've seen this in general over the course of recent weeks, as Steph has, his efficiency has gone down a little bit. It's just a byproduct of not getting that secondary support. Well, this is, I mean, we're on a little over a week now of Clay pay, uh, playing significantly better. It gives you 24 tonight. Hit a bunch of key shots there late in regulation. I know he got cold in OT, but he had some big shots in regulation. He, uh, again, that, that this is something we really started to see towards the tail end of last year, but Clay is exceptionally good at, at using the uh, that over-the-top kind of like float pass because he's taller than most guards that are flying off of screens, that over-the-top float p- uh, pass to hit the roll man. And he was having success generating offense, making dump-offs to Trace Jackson Davis as he was coming off of curls. And again, just that little bit of ex- extra support pushes you over the top. Now, this is going to be a challenge. We talked about this a lot over the course of this week. This this uh, this Warriors team is in a, in a strange predicament because... Uh, as of right now, they're outside of the plan, and we've got this, you know, presumably another three weeks or so, according to uh, the reports that came out in the last couple of days, where Draymond's not going to be around. Okay, so we're talking like another ten to twelve games, right? I haven't looked at the schedule to see exactly how many, but over the course of that span, it's going to be difficult, and it's going to require a lot of of heroic efforts from specific guys. It's going to require Steph to be at an MVP level like he was tonight. It's going to require Klay Thompson to be a guy who's consistently in the mid-20s and who's generating additional offense uh, with his passing ability. It's going to require Steve Kerr leaning into the athletes and just counting on them to get a lot of the work done. Again, you can figure out playoff rotations down the line. You don't know what you're going to do at the deadline. I think I think the I think we're pretty certain at this point that the Warriors are going to be a team that's going to look to do something at the deadline, right? So like this who knows what it's going to look like down the line. You've got to float things right here. Not to keep bringing up Lakers comps, but this this is exactly what happened to the Lakers last year. It's like Anthony Davis gets hurt you know you're trading Russ at the deadline. It's like, we got this weird team. It's like LeBron, Russ, and Dennis Schroeder. And like, we're we're small and we're, we're just going to have to find a way to win games for a little while. And they did. They just hovered around 500 until they could get to the deadline and, and kind of reorient the roster and go forward. That's the, the stretch that the Warriors are in right now. They're in trouble in the standings. They're undermanned in personnel. Draymond Green being out obviously hurts this team. But... They just got to find a way to hover as close to 500 as they can and doing things like winning the, the home games in particular. When you know your young, young guys are going to bring that energy, that goes a long way towards helping you accomplish that goal. Now, before we, I'm not going to talk any more Warriors tonight. Tomorrow, Sam Fondiari from the Light Years podcast, friend of mine, is going to come on the show and we are going to do a deep dive on the Golden State Warriors. We're going to be recording that in the uh, relatively early portion of tomorrow morning. So tomorrow afternoon, Warriors fans, keep an eye on the feed. You're going to see a a lot more Warriors-related content 
in the uh, right around noon tomorrow. On the Boston front, there, you know, I, this is something that I've been harping on all season long, and Boston plays such a consistent style night in and night out that it just kind of becomes part of the story, right? And it was frustrating because throughout the lion's share of this game, the the, the Celtics were approaching it in a very uh, a unique way compared to the way that they usually play. They were relentless attacking in the post. Now, the Celtics are a high post-up team in general. Uh, they like to post up a lot with Drew Holiday. They post up a lot with Jalen Brown. They post up a lot with Jason Tatum. They occasionally throw in a post up there with uh, Al Horford. Chris Porzingis has been deadly in the post this year. They run a lot of post-ups. But when Chris Porzingis is out of the lineup, they're not that heavy of a post-up team. But they were running a ton of post-ups in this particular game, and they were relentless punishing Golden State's smaller players inside. But what happened, and it's something that happens so often with the Celtics team, is they have a tendency to cling to the good shot rather than the great shot. This is a concept I talk about a lot on this show, right? Like, uh, I want to give you guys a couple of basic examples. Al Horford took a corner three in transition quick trigger. If it was an, it was it was an OT, if I remember correctly. I remember when he shot it, I was like, man, like, how do you not try to run some offense and see if you can get something better? and see if maybe that's a shot you end up with. Not to mention, when you're running in transition, your legs are tired from running, and you're not squared up. You're running back, looking for the ball. You turn, you haven't even really looked at the rim yet, right? Then there was a play where a late in, the, it was the one right before Steph Curry's dagger. And it's Jalen Brown attacking in the post, drawing a second defender, and Al Horford is standing for a long time in the right corner. And Jalen Brown throws him a perfect pass in the shooting pocket. He's already facing the rim. He's not fatigued. He's squared up. He has all freaking day. And he rises up and he knocks down the three. Do you guys see the difference between that? That's a an open Al Horford three in transition versus a wide open Al Horford three on a standstill situation out of a double team from uh, that Jalen Brown draws into the post. One is a decent shot. The second is a great shot, right? That's the difference. Derek White also took uh, he took 18 damn threes in this game. Took a transition like he's Clay Thompson type of three on the in the right corner. Uh, uh, it, it was either in the the fourth quarter run or in OT. Misses it, right? When it was 118-118, after Steph hit the pull up three over Al Horford. Jason Tatum runs a super methodical two-man game with Derek White to get Steph Curry posted up on the right elbow, backs him down, draws a double team. Derek White is standing wide open in the corner. Jason Tatum hits him. He's got all day to think about it. His feet are already set. He didn't just sprint and transition, and Derek White knocks it down. Again, Derek White transition three. Okay shot. Derek White... Catch and shoot three, facing the rim, standing still out of a double team when Jason Tatum is posting up a smaller guard. Great shot. And again, like one of the things that's tough with this Boston team is they're so damn talented that a lot of times the okay shots go in. But one of the biggest problems with this particular team is they are not methodical enough about seeking out the great shots down the stretch of games. You know, like, this is the problem. Jason Tatum uh, ends up getting Steph on a switch late OT or mid OT on the right wing, and he just 
drives him all the way to the rim and he, and he smokes a layup right at the rim. And it's like, great process. A shot he's going to make 95 out of 100 times, and he missed it. And like, what's interesting is that was the only time he did that in that quarter or in that five-minute overtime. You know, it's funny. One of the things that's happened with analytics and in their increasing relevance in the NBA is we talk a lot about this concept of shot value. And I am a huge believer in shot value. You guys know that. Uh, specifically, not just shot value, but like possession value, right? Like a, what is a Jason Tatum post-up worth? What is a LeBron James pick-and-roll worth? What is a Kristaps Porzingis you know, spot-up opportunity worth? Or a pick-and-pop worth? Or something like that, right? And I, I think those are good trends to follow over the course of an 82-game season and the kinds of shots you're getting over the course of 48-minute games. But once you get to crunch time, shot value doesn't matter anymore. Field goal percentage does. Because if I could run beautiful offense for catch-and-shoot threes and miss six in a row. Like, just take a take a Steph Curry and just chart every single catch-and-shoot three he takes. He'll have stretches where he makes eight out of ten, and then he'll stretches where he misses like four or five in a row. How often do you see guys miss four or five shots in a row within five feet of the basket? It just doesn't happen. At the end of games, that field goal percentage matter is what matters. That number is what matters. In the small sample size, it no longer becomes about aggregate shot value over a large sample size. It becomes about generating the best quality shots. And, and again, it's just this team, it, 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 like, like it, Al Horford in particular is a great example. Al Horford is a, a shooter. He's a good, a good shooter. He's a, like, he's a guy that like, when, when he gets a wide-open look, you're always like, man, that might go in, right? But he is not a great shooter. Great shooters should be hunting three-point shots. Good to okay shooters should be taking them as a result of whatever your offense produces if it's what the coverage dictates after you've tried to find a great shot. The Celtics have way too many guys right now that are hunting okay shots. Instead of hunting the great shots. And that to me is the is the big thing that's standing in the way. We talked about Jason Tatum. Once again, opts for a pull-up three on Jonathan Kaminga late in the game. I, on the right wing when he when he had the, the final possession. Derek White was right there. There was like seven or eight seconds left. I thought he should have had Derek White come set another ghost screen. Try to see if he can make something happen there to get a higher quality shot. But no, it took some, it takes a pull-up three. Jason Tatum is one of eight players in the NBA this year that attempts at least five pull-up threes per game. All of the other guys shoot 35% or better on him. Jason Tatum coming into the night, 29.9%. Jason Tatum last year, five attempts per game, uh, 29.1%. For whatever reason, he just hunts that shot, and he's not good at it. He was once upon a time. Back in like 2019, he could make that shot. But we're pushing like a 1,000 reps here now, dating back three seasons where that shot has been worth well below a point per possession, and Tatum's just hunting it and hunting it and hunting it. And a big part of it is like back then, he wasn't hunting it as frequently. His volume was lower. I'm not saying Jason Tatum shouldn't take pull-up threes. They should just be a shot that he takes when he generates outstanding separation on a move. Or, you know, late clock situation, it's it's a rescue shot. I just need to get something up. I get that. He, sh he should take two or three of them a game. But like, 
he shouldn't push the volume. He's taking six of them a game this year. He shouldn't push his volume up to that point until he's got it going. He's just doing the defense a favor in those particular situations. Now, Tatum had some good stretches in this game. He, in the middle of the fourth quarter, I thought he did an excellent job of just putting relentless rim pressure uh, as he generated quality shot after quality shot. I thought like that possession uh, after Steph tied it at 118 when he methodically ran that two-man game with Derek White, drew the double team and hit Derek, like that was really high-quality offense. But then it would be like there was a possession in OT where he caught the ball in the left wing with Steph on him, with seven on the shot clock, and he passed it away immediately to Jalen Brown in the corner who promptly drove into traffic and missed a layup. And, and I, like, that's the thing is like, we talk about like heliocentrism and, and like how that can be monotonous over the, when you see guys like Luka Doncic do it like 75 times in a game or James Harden do it 75 times in a game back in the old Rockets days. But spamming in action is actually a good thing in a small sample. Because it's just it's just a simple matter of personnel. My guy's bigger and stronger than yours. And we're going to get a great shot just by attacking that. Uh, it's just that offensive process piece, it, it, it's like it just consistently comes to the forefront with Boston. And it only comes to the forefront in these big games. You know, I had a Boston fan uh, uh, a tweet at me tonight. He goes, Jason Tatum has won four or five playoff series with that pull-up shot. And like, don't get me wrong, I, I remember... Some of these shots. I remember Jason Tatum hitting a huge right shoulder fade over the Milwaukee Bucks in game six, if I remember correctly, in Milwaukee. I've seen Jason Tatum take and make big time shots. I'm not saying that he shouldn't take them. I'm not saying they shouldn't be part of his game. But there's no question at this point that it's too big of a part in his game. And again, that Milwaukee Bucks shot I was talking about, that was a mid-range jump shot. It was not a three. It's a shot closer to the rim, which has a lower shot value, but has a higher field goal percentage. Understand the difference between those two concepts in a one-shot sample size? That's kind of the concept that I'm talking about here. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, 
Come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience, combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving installations and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. All right. Before we uh, get out of here tonight, I want to talk about John Morant for a little bit. And and then we're going to talk about Damian Lillard for a few minutes. So, um, as a basketball fan, it was incredibly fun to get to watch John Morant play again tonight. It's funny, I got into a, uh, the doghouse this summer because I said, we were doing player rankings, I think, and I had uh, Jalen Brunson over, over John Morant. And everyone hyper-focused on it as being some sort of negative John Morant take, which is not the case. It's just Jalen Brunson is one of my favorite players in the league, and he's awesome. At basketball, just just had 50 the other night. He's been averaging 28 for like a month. He's been uh, one of the most efficient scorers in the league over that span. Like Jalen Brunson, you just kicked the Lakers' ass last night. Like Jalen Brunson's incredible, right? Tyler Tyrese Halliburton's incredible. I saw that quote from the 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 uh, it, the press conference where the the uh, uh, person in the stands directly asked John Morant about these player comparisons. And like so, sometimes I just want to be like, hey, Anthony Edwards, awesome. Tyrese Halliburton, awesome. John Morant. Awesome. Jalen Brunson. Awesome. All of them are awesome. And like, it's all just a matter of personal preference. Right. But I have zero ill will towards John Moran. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the league. And what you saw tonight was what happens when you have a guy with a superpower and how that can make the game of basketball so much easier. John Moran's superpower is that he's so damn fast. He makes the NBA's fast guys look not fast. That's his superpower. And we're going to talk about his scoring in a minute, but it was his passing in particular that I thought demonstrated this concept so well tonight. There was a a pass that he had in the first half, a transition push, where he was working his way down the floor with a ton of pace. Zaire Williams just cuts out of the left side corner, kind of hangs out right underneath the rim, and Ja hits him underneath the basket. If you watch that possession, every single Pelican is mesmerized by John Morant as he's driving in transition, because that's what happens. You know how we as basketball fans are watching Ja in transition and we're like, holy shit, he's moving. Dudes on the court are saying the same thing. There was a a ball screen with, uh, it was a staggered pick and roll with uh, Zaire setting the first pick and then Jaron Jackson setting the second pick. It's on the right wing, it was in the first half. And Trey Murphy ends up jumping the first ball screen and hedging really hard on Ja. And as a result of that, Jaw had to split, and so he does. When Jaron Jackson recognizes that Jaw is not going to use the second pick because he splits, he com- immediately slips to the rim. But this whole thing happens so fast. Jaw goes off the pick, splits, 
and then just funnels up a, a left-handed scoop lob to Jaron Jackson, who dunks it at the basket. Jonas Valanciunas is in like kind of a drop coverage in this situation. The whole thing happens so fast. Not only does Jonas Valanciunas not get uh, not get a hand up, or he, not only does he not jump, he doesn't even get a hand up. He's stuck in the mud. He's like he, he just turns around and suddenly Jaron Jackson's on the rim because of how quickly like that's a read that we see a lot. Like oh, it's a hedge. You split the hedge. You got to engage the drop coverage defender. Then you throw that lob to the vertical spacer. It's a play we see a lot in the NBA. But it never looks like that because no one ever does it that fast. And again, like we talk so much about all these different skill set things, but like that individual athletic superpower is one of the most warping things that an individual player can do for a basketball team. And he's just, he's always just been a gifted passer in general. Now, the Pelicans are generally a hard help team, but consistently, John Morant tonight was reading the low man really well hit multiple threes in the weak side corner with skip passes. It's just, he's he is going to make offense so much easier for this Grizzly team. We're going to talk a lot about, or we're going to talk a little late in this show about what they have lying in front of them as a, as a challenge. But there's no doubt that it's just going to be a lot easier for this team with John Morant on the court. Then down the stretch, John gets three straight buckets in the final minute and a half. Starts with an ISO of Herb Jones, uh, out of the right corner. Herb is uh, kind of opened up a little bit, and Ja just get, just drives right behind to the left and goes to that little left-handed push shot in the lane. Then, very next possession. Now, this is something that we saw. Do you guys remember the uh, the spinning and one that John Morant had in the third quarter? This is the concept that that uh, uh, that that is another thing that's related to speed. Ja comes off the pick. Jonas is in a drop. It's kind of like a high drop, right? Like the Pelicans usually bring Jonas as high as they can into the ball screen, and then they're a big backside help team. That's just kind of the way that they kind of deal with Jonas's limitations in, in, in pick and roll coverage, right? But once again, Jaw so damn fast, Jonas can't get up to the level of the screen in time, right? For not even the level, but the, like he usually was going up just, just shy of the level. But instead, he's too far back. Jaw has him on his heels, hits him with a spin move, and gets an and one, right? This was in the third quarter. So one of the things they did on this second to final possession is they just had Jonas hard hedge on that right side to just try to stop him from using the screen entirely. Now, one of the reasons that teams use hard hedges is because it flattens out a drive. If you can get out, if you can get out on top of the screen, and so instead of him getting downhill on the screen, he has to take a negative step to curl back further away from the basket to evade the hedge. That gives him time to recover and your on-ball defender a chance to get back to the ball. That's why teams do a hard hedge. Here's the problem. Jaws too damn fast for Herb Jones, crossed over left to right instead. So when Jonas was waiting for him on the right side of the pick for the uh, uh on the left side of the pick for the hedge, Jaws going right, and now there's no weak side help. And Zion was late coming out of the corner, he tried to block him and had no chance, and Jaw lays it in. And then down the stretch, the final possession. The game winner, it's a 1-4 low. Just clear it, clear the entire top of the floor for him. Just hits Herb Jones uh, with a hard dribble move and a spin. And then that that like in-between shot for Ja that he that he has, that kind of is his before-the-rim shot, is that little floater. He hit a big one on Brandon Ingram late in the game as well. That floater is just really, really difficult to guard because you're trying to prep to meet him somewhere at the rim, and he just pops up off the floor, gets great balance. He's going straight up and down, and he makes that shot at a really high clip. It ends up being the game winner. Now, again, like 
We can talk about the Pelicans and why the hell they just kept letting Ja go one-on-one. That's a story for a different day. Uh, but like, just just from a, a sheer standpoint of athletic, athletic gifts, think of it like this. Herb Jones is one of the best perimeter defenders in the game. I, you know, have you ever heard, you guys ever heard of the concept like defending on your heels? You know, I, 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 one of the things that I noticed, and we're going to talk Lakers on probably Thursday is my guess. Um, but in the Knicks game last night, we were, I, I, if you guys who follow me on Twitter and saw the film thread that I did this morning, I kind of broke down the differences for Rui Hachimura when he would try to actually hold his ground and, and meet Julius Randle with force and how that forced Julius into tough fadeaways versus when he opened up and gave an angle and and Julius was getting easy floaters and shots close to the rim. And the difference between those two types of defensive strategy, or shouldn't say strategy, just in terms of execution, right? Well, that's the way perimeter defense works. The on-ball guy is trying to make a move towards me. I'm trying to beat him to a spot, right? If I beat him to a spot, I want to hold my ground. And if I hold my ground, I'm going to take that contact in the chest and I'm going to shut down that driving lane, right? But what, what can happen is when you're out of position, if you try to hold that ground and he kind of clips the side of your shoulder instead of like centered in your chest, now it's a blocking foul. Now he might get continuation and get all the way to the rim. It's the simple concept of being in defensive position versus being out of position, right? But when you're on your heels, when a guy is truly fast to the point where you don't even feel like there's an opportunity to hold your ground, you're constantly taking negative steps and opening your shoulder to try to recover to a further back spot, then you're never actually causing the on-ball player to stop his forward momentum. Watch those John Morant drives on Herb Jones down the stretch of that game. Herb is on his heels. He's backpedaling. He's opening his shoulders. Never once did he actually try to cut John Morant off because he's out of position because Jaw's way too damn fast for him. And that's the superpower. There are superpowers, and then there are superpowers where even the dude on the other team that has the same type of superpower can't handle it. When your best perimeter defenders can't do anything with him like that, it just puts your defense in a huge predicament. Now you're going to have to just double team him and pray someone else misses a shot, right? Which the Pels didn't do, and you know that's their uh, prerogative. But honestly, just uh, this is all I'm going to say about it. As a basketball fan, I had so much fun watching John Morant tonight. I'm so glad he's back playing basketball. The Grizzlies are in a tough spot. They're seven games out of the 10 spot with 56 games left, and they have a lot of issues that extend beyond Ja. It's possible, but it's going to be really, really tough. But what's great about it is you've got one of those guys. Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, John Morant, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. All four of these young guards are like bona fide superstars, in my opinion, in the making. Either there or in the making. And like you've got one of those guys. We talk a lot about this on uh, on this show, the idea of like you got to have step one is get the guy. Once you get the guy, you categorize his strengths and weaknesses and you build a roster around him. If you don't have the guy, what are you doing? Right? We've talked about this with a bunch of the other teams around the league. Talked about this with Chicago, right? Like everything needs to be geared around getting the guy. And uh, tonight was just another great reminder that Jaw is the guy. Now, this season, you like it, you, when you get to the deadline, if you're within striking distance to get to the play in, great. But if you get to the deadline and you're not, 
then this is where this is a great season for you to do what you can do to shape things the way they need to be shaped for you to make a run next season. All right, before we get out of here, Damian Lillard at 40 points um, uh, tonight. He's across 20,000 career points. But most importantly, because shout out to Dame for hitting 20,000 points, but he's averaging 37 per game in his last three. Those of you guys, Bucks fans, remember I did a deep dive on Monday about their win over the Rockets and all of the positive trends that came out of that, right? And I... Didn't love that they just like I I understand Andre Jackson's just not as good as Malik Beasley. You have to go back to him in the starting lineup, but I just wish we could see the Bucks with that type of defender in that spot. That said, one of the key elements of that whole spiel that I gave that day was yes, it's about having a point of attack defender next to Dame. Yes, it's about Chris giving you 18 to 20 a night, just in scoring on the margins. Yes, it's Giannis being Giannis. Yes, it's broken a deep drop and outplaying your other team center and doing all those things. But at the head of the snake, you need MVP level, top tier half court surgeon Damian Lillard. And he was not that for the first quarter of the season. And it's been a hell of a journey, him getting his legs underneath him. But I think we're starting to see that. And so above and beyond any sort of uh, recognition for Dame on a great uh, career accomplishment, that dude just seems ready to take a run. And I think the Bucks are going to follow. All right, guys, that's all I have for tonight. We'll be back tomorrow with Samus Fondiari from Light Years. And we'll have a couple film sessions on Thursday, Friday before the weekend. As always, I appreciate you guys. And I will see you tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.